Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. 143 paintings, 41 years of pain, 32 surgeries, 28 corsets, a ribbon around a bomb, and one eyebrow. The end. Let's talk about Frida Kahlo. But first, let's drop her into history. In 1907, Maria Montessori opened her first school in Rome. U.S. Congress gives himself a raise to $7,500 per year. Finland becomes the first European country to give women the right to vote. New Zealand declares independence from the U.K. UPS service began. It was a banner year for births. Catherine Hepburn, Jean Autry, Cab Calloway, Robert Heinlein, and on July 6, 1907, Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo y Calderon was born. Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo y Calderon was born on July 6, 1907, not, do not be fooled, regardless of what sign you see, not 1910, more on that later, the third of the four daughters of Guillermo Kahlo and Matilda Calderon y Gonzalez. Papa, whose name used to be Wilhelm Kahlo, was the son of Hungarian Jews or perhaps Lutherans, many have claimed him. They had moved to Germany and his father was a jeweler, a pretty wealthy man, so Wilhelm was given a great education. He was sent to university, he was just this promising, bright young man, and then... Kind of all of a sudden, Wilhelm's life kind of fell apart. He got badly injured in a fall and hit his head and got a brain injury, which caused epilepsy that recurred the rest of his life. I did not know that could happen. Five mm-hmm. percent of epilepsy cases. The things we learn. I know. <laughs> Weird. So, he has a brain injury. He has epilepsy. His mother died. The, this year is not good. And his father immediately remarried a woman that Wilhelm detested. And so... Rich Papa, as many rich papas do, threw money at the problem and handed Wilhelm some money. At 19, he heads off on a trip to Mexico. It's, I guess, a find yourself, reestablish your identity trip. I don't know. The guy needs a break. So he heads off to Mexico, and he stays. There was a huge German immigration around the turn of the century. If you listen to polka music and Tejano music, (laughs) they're very close. The next time you sit there and you're eating your chips and salsa, you listen for that accordion. That did not come from the Mayans. That came from German immigrants. Roll out the barrel of tequila. That sounds terrific. There's a big old Oktoberfest in Mexico City, even now. Yeah. So, Wilhelm went, not alone. He was with others of his countrymen in great numbers. Right. But he did not come back. He never came back to the Vaterland. Well, it's warmer in Mexico than it is in Germany. True. So Wilhelm changed his name to Guillermo, the Spanish William, and through the German community, he began working at a jewelry store called La Perla and married a Mexican woman and had two daughters. You know, he's he's assimilating. His wife is pregnant, and the night that she's giving birth, she dies. And then later that night, Guillermo proposes to one of his shopmates, Matilda. Like father, like son. Oh. You hated it when your dad did it, and so what did you do? The same night your wife the dies. The same night. So the co-worker... Matilda, 
was a very attractive young lady, and Frida did later say that he was very much in love with her. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'd been pining after her for four entire years, thus the haste. I don't really know. Creepy as heck. <laughs> but it was not a love match on Mama's side. Her first and her only other boyfriend in her whole entire life had been a German who had committed suicide in front of her. Holy moly. And Guillermo kind of reminded her of this man. So I guess she thought, okay, because she married him. Well, no, he was handsome and he was a hard worker. Papa liked him, which was probably the most important thing. But Matilda wasn't really crazy about Guillermo's other two children, and they went off to a monastery. It was a convent. Convent, thank you. So they were married, for better or for worse, and Guillermo went to work for Papa-in-law, who was a photographer. He got a very cool job. The dictator, Porfirio Diaz, was his name. He had come in like, we shouldn't be able to run again, and then immediately changed the rules so he could run again, or run, in quotes, again. Well, that's what dictators can do. I know, they're sly. So he commissioned this kind of, um, this heritage project, should we say. It's the 100th year anniversary of Mexican independence from Spain. Hooray, it's a big deal. Kind of um, this, hey, there's no budget, do whatever you want, go wherever you want, as high end as you can go for your contract, which we would all like to have, I think. Here's unlimited money, and just tell us when you're done. Yeah. That's a good job. That's a great job. (laughs) He had a very artistic temperament, which he handed down to at least one of his daughters. (laughs) Mr. Just Right, Mr. Perfectionist, he is quoted as saying, I don't take pictures of people because I don't wish to improve what God has made ugly. (laughs) Which is ironic, because he's the dad of an artist who paints... Portraits of herself that are uglier than she is in real life. So there you go. Yeah. It all turns around. It does. <laughs> I think it was a pretty unhappy marriage from yes. all I read, but I their four daughters did arrive with great regularity. So now there's six daughters he's got. There's not enough drama inside the house. The Mexican Revolution broke out. Now wait, wouldn't that be... Didn't we just talk about that? Wasn't that 100 years ago? Okay, here's a tiny little lesson. The one 100 years ago, Mexico v. Spain. It's like our American Revolution from Britain. Current Mexican Revolution that we're talking about right now was kind of more like our, our civil war. Mm-hmm. Citizen versus citizen. Right. Let's end the dictatorship and let's establish a constitutional republic is basically yeah. the point of this particular war. Right. And that's as deep into a war as we've ever gotten. So the Mexican Revolution lasted about 10 years, but 10 days right outside their house. In fact, uh, Frida later wrote that Mama would help wounded fighters by letting them in the window and mm-hmm. tending to their wounds and stuff. And feeding them. But she made the little girls hide in this big wardrobe. Not only, I don't know if it would have helped them from getting Narnia. <laughs> I do not think they ever found Narnia. What the hell? Um, Could you imagine you're in Mexico and then all of a sudden you're in like this Iceland? <laughs> there were fur coats in the yeah, cabinet. It's a right. big part of the plot line. Right. But uh, I don't think that wardrobe would have saved them from bullets, but what Mama's thought was is soldiers are not very trustworthy when it comes to young ladies. So, yeah, we have to hide in the wardrobe. And Frida wrote that she would hear the bullets swing by. I was trying to figure out if you really could hear the bullets swing by, because if there's one thing Frida is, she's an embroiderer of stories. Yes. And I definitely think that comes from having painted her memories in her autobiography and Mm -hmm. everything. So I don't think she could really hear the bullets swing by at this time, because Civil War bullets, I asked my husband, you could hear. Mm -hmm. They're slow, mini balls. Yeah. 
and you could hear them go by. But by now, they're using the same rifle Teddy Roosevelt is using to hunt things in Africa. Mm -hmm. I think it's powerful. I think you're not going to hear it until you're dead. (laughs) Then you won't hear it. No. You may hear the shot go off. Boom. Or maybe you hear ricochets. But that was one of her most vivid memories, constructed or not, that bullets, she could hear them go by. Scary. So scary. It is. But she's identifying with this particular age because later she will shave three years off of her life. Some say so that she can say that she began her life when modern Mexico began its life. Others will say she was just trying to make herself younger. (laughs) This wasn't really over till Frida was 13, but more immediately, the dictator who gave Papa that job was toppled and exiled. And somehow, the demand for luxury coffee table books of awesome photography pretty well falls off the bottom of the chart. Yeah. So Mama had married a guy with a lot of promise. This was not like a downward spiral, but it was like that one hill on the roller coaster where you're just, you're at the top, and then you're screaming, and you're freaking at the bottom. (laughs) Yeah. Papa got more grumpy and distant. Mama got grim, and nobody brought in any cash. I mean, at one point, they had to take in borders. Oh, how far the mighty have fallen. Mm -hmm. So if it was dysfunctional before when there was money, imagine how it goes. Small kids do pick up on attention. Frida got kicked out of kindergarten uh, at one point for punching someone in in the face. I think she was pretty rough and tumble. When Frida was six, she contracted polio. It was, she was bedridden for about nine months. Everyone came back together to nurse her. Even Papa, who had become a shadow that flitted in and out and hardly ever came home. He was brought back into the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, he yeah. insisted that she continue to exercise her leg and, and made sure that she did even when she was laying in bed, which was showed a lot of forethought on his part. He allowed her to run, I read. Gee, thanks, Dad. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. at the time, properly brought up girls did not run. No, no, not at all. After she's out of finally out of bed with the polio, she's boxing and playing soccer with the boys but she's wearing longer skirts now. One leg ended up shorter, and her classmates would call her Peg Leg Frida. I know. I think it's so sad that she would go home from her little elementary school, which was uh, Collegio Aleman, which was taught in German. Uh, K through 12, still there, if you're interested. If you're in Mexico City and you happen to speak German. <laughs> that breaks my heart thinking about her little socks, how she would go home being sad that people called her Peg Leg and put on little socks. Picking up one leg over the other. I think she was probably pretty lonesome. Probably. I mean, she'd been just, you got to have a little pity party if you've been in bed all the time and you're six. I mean, six is such an active age. You know, you start establishing friendships and learning all that um, social skills. So Papa was the artist and the philosopher, according to Frida. She was his favorite child. I mean, I don't think he ever made any mystery of that. He said she was the son he never had. He exposed her to books, expeditions, um, photography he taught her how. He would take her on nature walks, and she would be sent off to go get, you know, examples of this kind of leaf or try to find X number of bugs while he would paint watercolors. Still lifes, you know, realistic, though. I mean, he was a realistic painter. Um, Later, Frida said of her father that he painted what he saw on the outside, and I painted what I saw in my head. Dad is exposing her to all the arts and uh, nature and the bigger world. And Mom is very concerned about her religious upbringing. She wants her to know how to cook. She wants her to know how to sew. She wants her to know how to clean because those are the skills that little Frida is going to need in life. Well, but you know, from her perspective, what are you going to do? You're going to grow up. You're going to get married. Your husband will want clean socks with no holes. Right. And here are your instructions. 
<laughs> and Mama, she called me Hefe, which means the boss of me, sarcastically because of the domestic arts and Hufflepuffs get no respect. But if there were no Hufflepuffs, there would be no food. That's all I'm saying. Poor Mama. <laughs> so disregarded. So Frida, still spelled with an, uh, with an E, incidentally, in the German way, F-R-I-E-D-A, which she referred to herself up until, really, she started painting. Um, she went away to school. It was a one-hour trolley ride each way. It was kind of a big deal. It was a very elite school. It was called the National Preparatory School, and she was only one of 35 girls out of a population of 2,000 students. 35 girls. That is good odds for prom, my friend. <laughs> That's right. She wanted to be a doctor. That was her plan. I mean, all right, she'd been sick. She wants not, that not to happen to other kids. That's cool. Papa made her promise not to talk to any boys. Oh, Papa. Oh, how is that even possible, Dad? So Seriously. naive. So naive, Dad. Not only did she talk to boys, <laughs> she fell in with a, like a gang. It was those politically active, literary, edgy. You were probably in that gang. Yeah, I probably, I think I was in you that You were gang. that. They knew everything. They were smarter than everybody. They were politically active at an age where it might not have been the inclination of the normal student. That was her group. They were kind of juvenile delinquents, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> I mean, they were like the mischief patrol. Young ladies are supposed to go to the girls' lounge where there is a matron sitting there between classes. But instead, she's helping people blow windows out of buildings with firecrackers, which is the polar opposite of what she's supposed to be doing, which is, you know, knitting. <laughs> well, the head of the school almost quit because of these people. <laughs> so this little group was called the Kachuakas, and they would always, like, you know, lay draped on sofas upside down, talking about philosophy, and, you know, I had the group of friends in college. That's, like, very freshman year in college. Sophomore year in college stuff. Uh-huh. Let's talk about great things, blah, blah, blah. I was never in that group. <laughs> yeah. Does this surprise you? <laughs> so the president yeah. of the school hired painters to do murals. And the Kachuakas would set things on fire underneath the scaffold until the painters literally started coming to school with revolvers in their pockets. Can you imagine either no, part no, no. of this Wild West scenario happening? Never. Not now. now. No, not at all. And I'm grateful for that, quite honestly, having children in school. One painter in particular that was up on the scaffolds, fully middle-aged Diego Rivera, was Frida's special target. He was fat and sloppy and looked like a frog, but somehow had this series of hot girlfriends that would come be on the scaffold with him. Like 13-year-old girls at the skate park. Bored! Like crazy, but can't leave their man mm -hmm. who's skating, you know? They were groupies. God, they were. I don't know. Seriously? groupies? I guess. Seriously? Diego groupies. Hot girlfriends would sit up go, there. Go, Diego, go. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, Frida would come in and steal his lunch and eat it while standing behind a column and taunting him. And she would say things like she would yell up, like, watch out, you know, girlfriend A, because girlfriend B's on the way, Diego. You better hide girlfriend A. Ha ha, you know. Taunting him, he never saw her face, at least not full on. He saw her slinking away, having eaten his lunch. <laughs> but despite this obsession, Frida did have a serious boyfriend. She did. Alejandro Arias. Sounds like a fake name in a romance novel. He sounds insufferable to me. He liked to correct people's grammar or their opinions. <laughs> he would pat them on the head when they, oh, well, that's just cute that you think that. But everything had to be just so. Well, she liked it because they were... 
They were a thing. They were a thing. So Frida would lie to her mama and sneak out to meet him. I'm not fixing my wooden stairs for this exact reason. <laughs> and I have a boy. I was so happy when my floor started to creak in my new house. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so Frida got some jobs, mostly to be able to say, I'm going to work. That's legitimate. But also, you know, to help out her family with money. So it wasn't a complete lie, but sometimes she didn't go to work. No. She Went to the land of Alejandro. Oh, little Frida. If you know what I mean. Well, and I don't know why that surprised me exactly. She had a sister that eloped at 15. Right. In fact, Frida was the one that let her out the window. <laughs> and then shut it behind and like, I don't know where she went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now at last, we come to a pivotal day. A fateful, small event. Frida left her favorite little parasol at the bus stop. Sounds like nothing. Oh, let's go get the parasol. They sighed, dang it, got off the bus, walked back off to go get it. They'll just catch the next one. Just like they would have done any day. No big deal. But at 18, she boards that second bus with Alejandro, and the bus and a streetcar have a collision. And now I have to say, if you have littles in the room, put on your headphones. Uh, Seriously, this is not going to be suitable for about five minutes. In fact, I think we should take a little break. You can go get your headphones. And when we come back, we will talk about the accident that changed the course of Frida Kahlo's life forever. board on Pinterest. There's a lot more than chicks there. Elephants and fancy dresses. And funny old stuff. And even Batman. All you have to do is go to Pinterest.com. Search Pinners for Beckett Graham. That's it. And we are back. 18-year-old Frida Kahlo has just boarded a bus that's going to take her to a place she doesn't really want to go. So here's the accident. Again, not suitable for young ears. So they're in a bus, and a two-car trolley train came around the corner and T-boned their bus. From the description of someone in the bus, it bent into a seat. Like, it bent and bent and bent and bent and bent, and then all of a sudden, it snapped into a jillion pieces of shrapnel, and then the train ran over everyone in the bus. So there's the short version. Uh, Alejandro was looking for Frida after he climbed out from under the wreckage, and Frida was completely naked. The shrapnel and the dragging had taken all her clothes off. She was covered in blood, and more epically, someone had been carrying gilding powder in their bag, which had broken open, flown in the air, and stuck all over the blood on her. So here she is. As if in one of her own paintings later, completely naked, covered in blood and gold powder, and everyone is screaming, La Bailarina! La Bailarina! Which means the ballerina. The worst of it was that an iron bar had gone through her abdomen and had come out between her hips, if you know what I mean. It came out right between her legs, which is where it would, because that's where the bones stop. Mm-hmm. A passerby thought that bar needed to come out. I think he probably should have left it in for blood loss prevention. Mm -hmm. He pulled it out by force, and the 
witnesses say, and they didn't know at the time it was Frida Kahlo, she is La Bailarina of the accident, right. had screamed so loud that they couldn't hear the ambulance siren. They laid her on a pool table, convinced she would be dead. That was just what was next door, was a pool table emporium. Mm-hmm. She's on the green base, lying there, bleeding to death. Her spine's broken three times. Her collarbone's broken. Many of her ribs are broken. Her right foot is just crushed. Her pelvis is broken three times. Her right leg is broken 11 times. And obviously, everywhere the bar skewered through her is messed up. Every organ it hit, every bone it hit, broken. She is like the most horrible kind of jigsaw puzzle. I can't imagine how she stayed conscious through that degree of pain. She said later that what was going through her mind in the shock was she had bought a little pelota, which is like a cup on a stick... And the ball's attached with a string, and the whole goal of it is to catch the ball. So, oh, I wonder where that pelota is. I wonder if I'm going to be able to find my parasol in all this mess. That's what her brain was thinking well, the whole time. It's trauma. Well, and I think it protects you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The shock protects you. Oh, sure. Now, it also, both of her parents, hopefully, shock protected them from dealing with it because they didn't come to the hospital because they were too much in shock. <laughs> Pull it together. But I, I'm so mad at her family most of the time, by the way. <laughs> Helpful. Very helpful. So, so you know who did come was Matilda, the sister that had escaped out the window when Frida was seven, mm-hmm. who had been not spoken to by the parents since that day. She found out in the newspaper and came to the hospital. So I'm very glad. And she stayed and she nursed her. I mean, it was like 25 patients for one nurse. And so having Matilda there was mm-hmm. very valuable. But Frida, according to Matilda, screamed and vomited most of every day for the first month she was in the hospital. And and her pain would never end. In her life, from now on, she's going to have 32 serious operations. Friends of her said from this point she lived while dying. I mean, she's broken. Her body yeah. is smashed. Right. She had said that death dances by my bed. So... There's that. This person who had intended to become a doctor, there's no way. She, she's not going to go back to school. And so she accidentally, due to her illness, really started out on the road to becoming a painter. She had said that she was young and didn't realize the extent of the tragedy. She felt she had energies enough to do anything instead of studying to become a doctor. And without paying much attention, I began to paint. Out of boredom, mom rigs up an easel for her so that she can paint while laying still. Dad gives her some paints, and she begins to just paint because her days are very dull. I mean, people can come and visit her, but most of the time she's laying there immobile. She's in a full body cast. Mama and Papa rigged up a mirror above her head so she could see herself, and she began to paint herself. It's the first in a long series of self-portraits that she will do. This self-portrait, however, was intended to be a present to Alejandro. Her thinking was, I'm going to paint him this portrait. He's going to see this beautiful side of me, and he's going to come back to me. Because during her convalescence after the accident, Alejandro had started being not a very good boyfriend. He was kissing and telling, if you know what I mean, talking about how she was such a loose woman, not worth a cent. And she said, I am worth much more than a centavo because I like myself the way I am. I'll have to be friends with those who like me the way I am. And then he leaves. Yeah. I mean, he leaves her. He, I have an opportunity to go to Europe. I'm taking it. Goodbye. So her first self-portrait was for a very unworthy recipient. 
everyone else saw this heroic sufferer joking and she had a very sharp wit. Yeah. She had a very dark sense of humor as well. So being in this traumatic situation, those two combined, everybody knows somebody like that. They're going to joke their way through it. Yeah, but inside, you know, she had said that she painted death to keep her enemy close. Wow. Yeah. So it was kind of a mask, really. (laughs) I read somewhere where it's that's where it started because there was a mirror that was showing her a Frida and she was painting a different Frida. So Mm -hmm. there were always two Fridas. Mm Mm-hmm. Even women today, we don't see ourselves the way that other people see us. So she had thought that even inside of her own head, she had aged instantly. She said that her friends at college learned everything gradually. Knowledge of self, knowledge of the world, Mm -hmm. knowledge of others. She said, my friends became old slowly, but I did it all at once. It's as if I had learned all about life in mere seconds. So she became introspective in the bed with the two Fridas. Well, she would have to be. She never directly painted her accident, by the way. She just couldn't do it. There are a couple of drawings that she has done that are in a diary that are a little bit more direct with the bar going into her body and Mm -hmm. stuff. And But you can... Feelings about it leaked out all over the place. It became part of almost every painting she ever did. There's one called The Broken Column that is really Mm -hmm. expressive of it, where it's basically her in a supportive corset and... Her spine is cracked, completely cracked. So after about a year, Frida could get around. She didn't go back to school exactly. A friend introduced her into this bohemian, communist, arty, unconventional circle of friends. This woman named Tina Modati, she was a photographer slash model slash actress slash political activist. She and Frida hit it off, let's say. And at a party, she introduces to Diego, who, of course, Frida already knows. Well, we saw him before, didn't we? We saw him up on the scaffold. Uh, we ate his lunch. Ha <laughs> ha, so to say. That's the last time you're going to eat his lunch, Frida. Sorry. <laughs> Here's Diego's background a little. Back before Pinterest, his dad, noting his very small child's artistic talent, literally made him a chalkboard room to draw in. Okay, that is so cool, I can't even stand it. Yeah, he was taken to serious art training at about the age of 10. He studied in Europe. He was friends with Picasso. He was friends with Aaron Copeland, the composer. I mean, he was friends with Gertrude Stein. He was serious. He was a muralist, and he, his style was very Mexican heritage, and just politics and art mixed up. Okay, I liken his style to a Where's Waldo painting. Well, kind of. <laughs> because it's it's all these little vignettes that compose one larger mural. Mm-hmm. I mean, huge. The peasant is the ideal. Art should reflect the real Mexico. It was called Mexicanidad, and it was a movement that went all through architecture and art and food, peasant food. Super hot, again, sounds very familiar. Keeping chickens in the yard, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, and if you have not seen that video of Portlandia where they say the dream of the 1890s is alive in Portland, <laughs> we should link you to that. It's basically the same. But it was genuine. It wasn't ironic at all. They really, really believed that the way to get back to true happiness was to live more simply and from everyone to everyone, let's all live together. They were idealists. And this guy had the Mac. He was super charming. He was famous. He also liked women for their minds in an era... Which, that didn't happen. He must have seemed like some kind of alien being. Well, Frida was bold. And sometimes you have to make your own luck. She knew Diego, of course, from the gallery. 
But he didn't know her at all, and she went there. He was famous. It was obvious where he was painting. She went there and stood under his scaffold and said, Hey, look, Diego, come down here. I didn't come to flirt with you. I know all about you. No, I want you to come look at these pictures. And he does. Yeah, well, you know, why not? You never know. Maybe he was ready for a break, or he lumbers his 300-pound self down off of that scaffolding to take a look at the paintings that she brought him. And she laid it out. She said, if you say I have talent, I'm going to keep going. If not, I'm going to get a job to help support my parents. I mean, she's basically saying, mentor me, and if you don't want to, just tell me, and I'll, I'll go. Honest. He probably thought that was refreshing. I'm sure a lot of people came to him asking the same question, well, and wanting it to be sugar-coated. Yeah, well, and, though, here's the thing, because he loved him. He said he loved him. Mm -hmm. And she goes, look, you, everyone tells me that if it's some girl, you're just a mess. Now, you tell me for real. You tell me. And he outed her during that conversation. He's like, wait a minute. I've heard that voice before. And it made him laugh, laugh, laugh. And I think it made him like her even more. Miss Eat My Lunch. That's right. (laughs) Miss Warn My Girlfriends. That's right. You've been stalking me for years. Yeah. So, still, still good, he said. No, seriously, really, still good. She invited him to her house to see the rest of the paintings, and within a few days, they'd had their first kiss. So, it was on. It was on. They started to date. She's 21. He's a lot older. He's at least 20 years older than her. (laughs) Yay. So, he's established, though. He's an established painter. He's got his connections. He's This is the world that she wants to go into, so it's a good union for both of them. So she's up on the scaffold now, ladies. He paints her into one of his murals. I know. It's the Ministry of Education building, and uh, it's called Ballad of the Proletarian Revolution. She's in a red shirt with a star on it. She, at this point, painted my favorite piece, almost the only one I like, actually. It's called The Bus, and it's kind of different stereotypes of Mexicans all in a row. It is very reminiscent of a painting by Daumier called Third Class Carriage, um, which is more my style. Here's the thing. My favorite art is more, how should I say, more straightforward and more photographic, even, like Sargent, Tissot, Grimshaw, Waterhouse. I'm more impressed with how they do light and how they do fabric and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and both Diego and Frida have this primitive even primal you must say style bolder more collage like and I myself find Frida's work very upsetting and disturbing well I think it was supposed to be yeah I think that's okay yeah 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 yeah. I think that's okay it's supposed to make you feel something right that's like uh, the written word you know literary the written word that makes you feel uncomfortable to read my daughter just read uh Toni Morrison the blue eyes and it's a very difficult book to read emotionally right so um yeah. Well, and I can't imagine with the subject matter that Frida is expecting you to go away humming the sunny side of the street. No. And I don't think that's her personality so either. I think feeling yeah. repelled is okay, yeah. like anything but indifference. Right. But, but her art is very biographical. So perhaps give it a glance. Be repelled. Mm-hmm. If that is your first thought. Many people aren't. And that's fine too. You know, whatever. But then once you hear her story, go back in context and look, and you'll see elements of what's going on happening. It's it's clearly biographical art. A lot of her art is like a, I mean, a modern-day blog. Something happened to her in her life, and she put it down. And she might have expanded on it and then added emotion to it that so that we would feel it. But it, she was like a blogger, almost. Yeah, kind of. On really. canvas. Back to life instead of art. Yes. Um, At 17, she said, and at 22, reality says, Diego asked Papa to marry her. And Papa looked at him 
and said, you know she's a devil, right? That's fine. And Dad's like, all right, well, you've had your warning. And I don't know that he was so awesome about this guy marrying his daughter, but his daughter was very expensive. Her medical bills were very expensive. Diego had a lot of money. He seemed to love his daughter. He couldn't afford the medical bills. Right. I mean, it was very practical for Papa, I think, but he did call Diego an ugly, fat communist. <laughs> well. And Mama had darker things against this marriage. Well, she just, Matilda said that it was a marriage between an elephant and a dove. Because Diego is 300 pounds, 6'1". He's a big man. But Frida is 5'3", 98 pounds. I mean, she's tiny. Physically. Well, and Mama was mad about the atheist thing. Mm-hmm. Because she's a devout Catholic. And she was very disappointed that her daughter didn't go that oh, way. Yeah. She didn't even go to the wedding. But Papa did. And he stood up in the middle and said, Are we not play acting here? Is this for real? <laughs> yes, it's real, Dad. Sorry. Uh, sorry to disappoint you. She borrowed clothes from a maid. She does look beautiful, um, though very kind of wistful. He looks proud, but his pants are up to his armpits. And this weird little short tie tailored to match where the belt goes, which is like, you dude, you are hilarious. But whatever. Well, so now, let's begin married life. Now, Frida still didn't paint much. She's referred to as the great man's new young wife. She learned to cook, as she had not paid proper attention to Mama, from... Uh, from the mother of Diego's children, an ex-girlfriend, taught her how, oh, well, here's what he likes the best. Already, already creepy to me. Um, Diego was working morning till night. The official communist party booted him because he was working for bourgeois people, getting commissions. His politics did not change, but he's like, this is PTA committee crap. And I am going. And he walked in with this revolver, and he said, I hereby kick Diego out of the Communist Party, and the revolver's made of clay, and he smashed it. Dramatic! To find the clay revolver in the first place. (laughs) To make the clay revolver in the first place. Dude. So they had a weird kind of non-honeymoon. The first year, it was bad. This Frida had to have the first of three medically necessary abortions. Remember that iron bar? Yeah. There's just been too much... She was told back at the accident that she would never be able to carry a child. Mm -mm. Too much scar tissue, too much damage, Mm -hmm. too many bones in the wrong place. She cried and cried and cried. And and I get that. I mean, that's a great blow. Uh, I think that's when she started to really realize, I am not going to have children. Mm -hmm. And Diego was cool with that. He didn't want children. She loved kids. She really did. And Diego, not an animal to change his stripes, was already having affairs within the first year of them having gotten married. It was Diego. Let's see. Frida summarized it thus. I suffered two great accidents in my life, one of which a streetcar knocked me down, and the other accident is Diego. Tumultuous is the word, is it? Well, yeah, it's a good word. He... I mean, she knew what she was getting into. He would brag that he was unfit for monogamy. But see, you might know what you're getting into, but you might believe you're the one that can make it all stop. Right, because we have this, we're combustible that he's never had with any other woman. Yeah, no. I mean, it's weird. It's hate and love and baby talk and pride and cheating and and despair. And like, ah, and it's hard from the outside. Who's to say? Only people in a marriage can understand it. Um, One of the biographies of Diego Rivera referred to Frida and their relationship as such. He wrote, To him she came first after his art and after his stories of his legendary life. To her, he came first even before her art. Which I really do think is true. Oh, yeah. 
Definitely do too. And it, unlike her parents, it was a love match. I really think they loved each other deeply and they connected on a level that yeah. neither had ever again. Well, he did admire her for her independence that at first I think she was pretending to have more of than she really did. I really do think so. About this time, she began to adopt the clothing style that we all know her for. The long flowing skirt, the peasanty blouse, jewelry, hair with ornamentation in it. It's called a Tejuana look mm-hmm. from a certain part of, I, I, this is my favorite word in Spanish to say, a certain part of Oaxaca. Oaxaca. Um, it's a matriarchal society. Um, just very elaborate. In fact, she had gold gold caps made for her incisors that were set with pink diamonds. Elaborate. <laughs> and Diego approved. Classic Mexican dress, he said. You're freeing yourself for modern society. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, yeah. it suited her personality, too. I mean, she literally clothing herself and her Mexican heritage. And I think she looked very beautiful. I do, too. It was a look that not everybody can pull off. That outfit became kind of an icon of her, and sometimes in some of her paintings, she painted her outfit to represent herself. So you'll mm-hmm. see you'll see it in some of her paintings. It's just a Tejuana outfit with no Frida in it. And she's more beautiful in photographs than she ever is in any self-portrait. Yes. The brow, that famous eyebrow, not so apparent as in her paintings. No, and, and the mustache, all the facial hair. She must have just been really focusing on it. Well, Diego and Frida did say one thing about each other. She said she really admired his breasts, and he said, well, I really like your mustache. <laughs> yes, indeed. The life of a muralist at the time is very nomadic. So that's the lifestyle that they had. They would He would get a commission. They would go to that area. They would live there for as long as it took him to create this piece, and then they'd move on to the next commission. At this point, he gets his first commission outside of Mexico and gets to go to San Francisco. In modern uh, corporate parlance, Frida is the trailing spouse. She has no official duties. Well, she brings him lunch. (laughs) She takes care of his needs so that all he has to focus on is painting and networking. Right? I guess, yes. Diego is painting his mural. Um, Frida actually gets hospitalized while she's there. More complications stemming from her accident. And at this point, she meets the doctor who will be her doctor for the rest of her life. She will continue to consult him because he's a lot more optimistic than any of the doctors that she's seen before. He tells her that perhaps someday she can carry a child, and I'm sure she was clinging to that. So she was painting again. You know how, hmm, as a wife and a mother, perhaps your needs are put behind other people's. And so she was Diego's little helpmeet for quite a while, but then she started painting again. Overtly considered herself an amateur. I'm just messing around, and Diego was kind of fondly condescending. You know, the little woman's little thingies, that she, her little hobby that she's messing with. Even in the newspaper, they would describe the attractive wife of the famous painter by saying, the wife of the master mural painter gleefully dabbles in little works of art. It's <laughs> it's not wrong. I mean, Diego's the famous huge guy. pieces... And they're juxtaposed with these very small canvases that 
Frida is painting. So she's painting while Diego's painting. And this is where she paints Frida and Diego Rivera, the wedding portrait. It's one that's pretty famous. And at this point, she is actually shown in a, her first showing is in San Francisco. It's at the sixth annual exhibition of San Francisco Society of Women Artists. And it's her first public showing. So she's like legit now. <laughs> I know, it's very exciting. Continuing their nomadic style after San Francisco, they move on to New York. And here, Diego is given a show. So here she's immersed even more into the art society of the United States. It's so funny, though. Frida said she was bored and hated America, mostly New York, by the way. She called it Gringo Land. There is a painting that expresses her distaste for America called My Dress Hangs There. That's one painting where her dress equals Frida. And um, (laughs) she has the toilet on a throne because she says Americans worship the toilet. (laughs) Just so you know, other people have said the same thing. In Peter Mayle's A Year in Provence, the guy, the plumber, comes to install his new toilet, and he goes, look at this. Even an American would be impressed by this toilet. So I think it's a stereotype in other parts of the world that Americans are obsessed with their bathrooms. I like my bathroom. (laughs) Well, you're so American. I know. Oh, my gosh. While she's in New York, she's meeting some real big names. I mean, Ansel Adams, Georgia O'Keeffe, the Rockefellers. I bet they were drawn to her. They got her in the end. She made quite a few friends. She liked to pretend to be grouchy and grumpy like the Grinch. Mm-hmm. But in the end, she did make, I mean, she charmed people. Because you know what? That mask was on. Mm-hmm. She was helping Diego. Right. But these, these things that she wrote dismissive of New York were really written to both her doctor and some friends at home. Culture shock, I guess, but she didn't feel like New York society was genuine. She would always talk about how how she saw these people that ate off gold plates, and then she'd go outside and there'd be beggars in the street. How is this happening? It was the communist. Yeah, I was going to say, this is her politics coming into her life. I mean, she, she lived that. After New York, they continue their tour of the United States. They go on to Philly for a commission, and then to Detroit, where Diego has a commission for Ford Motor Company. <laughs> yeah, she's... I have to say, Detroit, she didn't find any silver lining to. She was lonely, pretty lonely there, and sick and bored. There's no more artists to entertain her. There's no more of the people that she felt like, okay, I finally, I can connect with people in Gringo Land, I guess. Yeah, she was really sick and bored and pregnant again, and she had a horrible miscarriage. Her doctor had told her that perhaps she could carry, so this one, she didn't have the medical um, abortion on. She went to carry it, and it it didn't happen. She spent 13 days in recovery in the Henry Ford Hospital and just kind of spiraled into some depression. She demanded a medical book so she could see what happened. They're like, no, it's going to be disturbing. I can handle it. Diego's like, she will make some art. (laughs) (laughs) Tell her what she wants. Yeah. And so she got hold of a medical book and um, there are a lot of pencil drawings again in her diary that are very surreal and very disturbing. Getting her emotions out or whatever. There are two paintings that are kind of attributed to this point in her life. One, of of course, is called Henry Ford Hospital, and the other one's called Frida and the Abortion, and they're both literally terrifying, and this is what I mean when I say that her art is repellent Uh to me. Now, biographical as they are, yes, and if you look at them after you know what state of mind she was hearkening back to when she painted them. Mm -hmm. So there's some dark paintings coming out of what happened right now. It was a dark time in her life. She kept, um, I don't know where she got this human fetus, I really don't know, but she kept a human fetus in a jar in her bedroom based on this experience, and um, she got kind of obsessed with dolls, 
Yeah, she's collected them. So that's kind of when all that started. So Frida is following the maestro around the United States, and she's had enough. He does not want to go back, and she's ready. She did take a little trip back when her mother died, but she wants to move back. Diego did not want to go back, even though he had just been in a very publicized fracas with the Rockefellers over an inappropriate painting. He did not want to go back. He wanted to continue on the road to glory in America, which is where he thought his future might be. And she kind of insisted. And they had this big fight that is so emblematic of their relationship. They had a picture of cactuses on the wall. Cactuses equal Mexico. And he got a kitchen knife and cut that painting to shreds. Artists are so dramatic, by the way. Okay, we've already established that he made a gun out of clay so that he could slam it on a table and break it dramatically. I mean, it's over the top. So then they did get back. And he had two houses built, one large, one small, connected by a little bridge. Guess who's was who's? Hmm. Oh, it did. It's, we'll definitely post a picture of this. It's Casa Estudio, and his is this big, large, pink building, and hers is this small, blue building, and there's just this bridge between the two of them, so they could each have their own separate spaces. And it's like a weird duplex. Well, Diego sulked. In the worst possible kind of way. He had an affair with Miss Frida's younger sister, Christina. Every marriage has a line that can't be crossed. And that was Frida's. Well, so Frida cut off her hair and she laid off the Mexican costume for a while. And she said to a friend in a letter, get this. He believes that everything that's happening is my fault because I made him come to Mexico. And that is the cause of his being the way he is right now. He cheated on her with her younger sister and told her it was her fault for making him move back to Mexico. He is a selfish, egocentric abuser. I'm sorry, lovers of Diego Rivera. He admitted it. He wrote, if I loved a woman, the more I loved her, the more I wanted to hurt her. Frida was only the most obvious victim of this disgusting trait in me. He set up an apartment for Christina and bought Frida the same furniture. You suck, Diego. But she wrote, I have been murdered by life. That's what she wrote after this. Her hair's gone. She's changed her clothes. What a weird dynamic. She would lock her into the bridge, and he'd have to literally come, bum, 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 down the stairs and out into the street and knock on her door, and then she wouldn't answer it. And then the fight would have to be held through the door in the street. Fiery. I guess so. (laughs) But with Christina... It got better. I'm kind of reminded of the Duchess. I don't know if you got the same feeling, too. Oh, that there I was didn't like this odd threesome because Christina and her children, quote, lived with Frida and Diego. That's mm-hmm. Christina's children remembered living with Frida and Diego. Um, Isolda and Antonio were kind of her substitute children, along with a spider monkey named hilariously Fulong Chang, which means any old monkey. <laughs> which I thought was funny, and a big fat psycho named Diego Rivera. Who needs more kids than that? Did I say that out loud? <laughs> so Frida was beautiful and eccentric and fabulous, outwardly so popular and charming. But inside, I don't She was known for drinking what she called little cocktailitos, but she'd drink like seven or eight of them. People said she'd drink like a mariachi. Now that... Literally shocked me, because I think of them as those sweet guys in the velvet hats that sing. Uh-huh. I didn't even know they were, were notorious for being heavy drinkers. Mariachis? They just came to the table at the restaurant. They look so wholesome. I mean, the appetizer and the entree. Evidently, they're not wholesome at all. But So they were both now, Diego 
and Frida in full-on affair mode. Diego was all like, hey, little lady, let me show you my frescoes. And then she is showing her frescoes, and he's getting pissed off. Well, now, he's fine if she has affairs with women. Right. Dolores Del Rio, for example. Famu, movie star. That's just messed around. But let it get out that she is having an affair with a man, and he comes over there and waves his pistolero around. What's good for the gander has to be good for the goose, or you need to lay off. And he's not going to lay off. Especially in this relationship where they define it themselves. It's not a conventional relationship, so why is he hanging his hat on convention when it comes to her relationships? I don't get it. Well, I just don't know. But they were bonding a little bit over politics. That was one thing that did bring them together. They, They both raised money for the anti-Franco side in the Spanish Civil War. And then Trotsky stayed at their house. Like, let's just, okay, short version. Enemy of, enemy of Lenin, friend of Stalin, enemy of Stalin, exiled from his country, and he's one of those Snowden-type guys nobody's going to take in. I don't want him. Well, I don't want him. Well, I don't want him. Until Diego Rivera persuaded Mexico, this is how famous he is, mm-hmm. to give refuge to him. And so he ended up at the Blue House, and he ended up in Frida's bed. Well. Okay, have you ever seen a picture of him? He's kind of a bad boy of communist. Well, this is someone who has assassins on his tail. I guess no, the danger a- level is just peaked. Oh, I guess that's exciting. I don't know. She broke with her, up with him and gave him this um, self-portrait to keep. Well, here is the only good thing about all this marital turmoil, as far as I'm concerned. She's 30. She began to paint in earnest. I counted about 16 paintings in just two years here, right when this... Bad behavior was going on. Her themes, of course, Mexican heritage, disappointed motherhood, her physical pain, her emotional pain, of which Diego was pretty much all of it, death and peril. This is the period right here where she started to come out from behind Diego's shadow. It's a big old shadow. (laughs) Figuratively is what I meant, but physically, too. It's a big shadow. Yes. She sold a few paintings. Her first actual sale was to Edward G. Robinson, the actor. He bought four of her paintings in one swoop for $200 a piece, which seems like, dang it, I wish I had a time machine. Yeah, really. I have $200 right now. Uh, Yeah, but you don't like her paintings. It doesn't matter. It's an economic time machine situation. I see. see. It's an investment. Uh, Yes. Got it. Okay. Uh, she meets an artist who loves her work and wants to bring her to Paris, so he's starting in on that. But before that happens, she has a show in New York, and she sells half of her paintings at that show. Yeah. And she's starting to get commissions at this point. Not Diego. Frida. She gets a commission from magazine editor Claire Booth Luce, who wants her to paint a painting to give to the mother of a mutual friend, Dorothy Hale, who has just committed suicide. That's a person, if you've never heard of her, she's, um, it was quoted in the paper, the most beautiful suicide. And you can see a photo of her, and she is just beautiful, but she has literally crushed the dickens out of the car she landed on. Mm-hmm. This commissioned portrait that Frida is supposed to paint, she paints a picture of her jumping from the building and landing on that car. This is to give to the mother. <laughs> Has Claire Booth Luce not seen Frida's paintings? I guess is what I'm wanting to know. Maybe she was wanting her skipping through some fields of Mexican flowers. I don't know. The painting is a critical success, but Claire is mortified by it. Paint my name out and you can have this back. I'm not giving this to her mother. So, no, it wasn't such a good thing. So as her career is building, now it's time for her to go to Paris. 
and let's take a little break. And when we come back, we'll see how that ends up. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 100,000 titles for you to choose from. For you, the listeners of the History Chicks, Audible is offering a free download so you can try out their service. There's just not a book available on Free to Callow, but there is a new book we think a lot of you will really enjoy listening to, The White Princess by Philippa Gregory. It covers the story of Elizabeth of York, Henry VIII's mother, and how she came to be the Queen of England. Want something a little bit lighter? There are so many Georgette Higher Regency novels on Audible, I just don't have time to read them all to you. Those are my guilty pleasure. To receive your free audiobook download today, please visit audible.com slash thehistorychicks or simply follow the link on our website, thehistorychicks.com. are back. Frida has been invited by a group of surrealist painters to come show her work in Paris. Paris. They love her. Well, she refers to the group in question as cuckoo, lunatic, sons of... Uh, surrealists take themselves too seriously, she said. But you know what? Some of the big guys really liked her. Marcel Duchamp, Salvador Dali. She called them the big cacas. And they are the big cacas. They are the very big cacas. She also said, kind of plaintively, I didn't know I was a surrealist until they came and told me I was. They painted dreams, and I just painted my reality. I'm just telling my own story. But they're all like, so avant-garde. <laughs> You're one of us. You're one of us. Surrealist Andre Breton called her work a ribbon around a bomb. Those surrealists. Such juxtaposition. She sells a painting that hangs in the Louvre. It's called The Frame. It is a one of her self-portraits of a unibrow Frida surrounded by an intricate and very Mexican-inspired frame of birds and flowers. She's the first artist to hang in the Louvre who was a 20th century Mexican. That's awesome. She is on the cover of French Vogue. And Chaparelli, couturier deluxe, actually created a robe Madame Rivera. Hmm. So the art, not so much, uh, really, except for the painting, of course, at the Louvre. But what they really loved about her was her persona, her personality, her magnetism. Her she was too exotic to them. And another exotic member of Parisian society, um, who we have talked about in episode 34 and 35, by the way, uh, Josephine Baker, another Frida, if you recall. I know, isn't that funny? So we've got Frida with an I and Frida with an E. Um, met up and really hit it off. Pause. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, that was a fabulous affair that we actually forgot to cover during the Josephine Baker podcast. Yeah, we sure did. We do have a picture of the meeting of the two Fridas. I love that. Um, really, it was a triumph, at least socially. And it was the beginning of the tipping point, I think, with the art. But Frida, on the other hand, was not so into Paris. She thought it was very fake and very superficial, and she was irritated that the artist didn't talk about... She's so used to the Mexican art world, which is so Mm -hmm. tied into politics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Communist Party and moving forward with the people and art becomes one society. And she thought that the Parisian artists were more concerned with getting patronage and sitting on their booties in a cafe chair, talking about nothing. She was really not into the whole laissez-faire, 
languorous attitude mm-hmm. of the Parisian social world. So she wow. wanted to get out of there. So she got back to Mexico, and we can't have good times for very long because Diego had an announcement. Diego wanted to get a divorce. Not just a separation, a divorce. Why did he want to do it? Maybe he wanted to shack up with Claudette Godard, the actress. Yeah, but what he said was, it's the only way to preserve our friendship. Yeah. So they got divorced. (laughs) And how did Frida feel? All you really have to do is look at her art. There is a famous piece of art called The Two Fridas. And it's like Frida when she is loved, Frida when she is not loved. And it is clear how she feels. Um, Las dos Fridas, if you want to know the actual name. But she wrote in her diary, I will love him all my life, even if he wouldn't want me to. But she cut off her hair. The classic movie maneuver. She started to not dress in her Tijuana outfit anymore. She was so, so lonesome. Mm-mm-mm. There's another painting called The Wounded Table where she's sitting with Judas and a skeleton. I, I can't, you can't be more clear than that, how she feels. And then Diego, classic Diego, she did her best work when we were divorced. Like, so admiring. It's so good for her art. God, dude, you know. And he's taking credit for it. Yeah. Because Again, I divorced her. She became a better artist. Yes. Forever. She had written in her diary this um, dictionary of color meanings, which we should put in a special feature, and yellow was considered to be the color of misery and the color of craziness and the color. And there's a lot of yellow in these paintings. A lot. Now on to Trotsky and his fate. Trotsky's going to die. He was assassinated rather spectacularly, and Frida and With an ice pick. I mean, they, they shot at the guy several times and missed him. So Stalin sends a guy with an ice pick, and that's what does him in. That's, I can't even think about that. Ice pick. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, so, so Frida was hauled in. Two nights in jail. Christina, her sister, was hauled in. Two nights in jail. And the police just let the kids stay in the house. Just, there's no food. They have no food. And so Frida and Christina, of course, are the most concerned in jail about, please, can somebody take the children some food? And the police were like, that's not our job. So they finally clear her of assassinating him, and she is horribly, horribly ill. She is. Her health is never going to get much better. Diego has fled to San Francisco. He's not even in the country. Her health is declining, and she thinks she needs to go to her doctor in San Francisco. And, oh, yeah, well, Diego just happens to be there, too. So she does. And Diego wants to remarry. And her friends are like, don't do it, girl. Are you crazy? He is the exact same. But Frida said, no one will ever know how I love Diego. I don't want anything to wound him. Nothing should bother him or take away the energy he needs to live, to live the way he wishes. He can take it all. She said. Okay, whatever. <laughs> the ways of the heart. Mysterioso. And she's kind of talking about his art, too. That if she get, went back to him, perhaps his art would improve even more. I just love how they're both taking credit for the other person's art. <laughs> well, Frida was smarter this time. Fine, yes. Let's do get married. But financially, we're going to go back to 50-50, so you have no power over me, and mm-hmm. I don't get used to it, depending on you. And no bedroom action. Finito. She can't handle it, the emotional, like, that way. He's a mess. She's all done. So if you want to get married under those conditions, I mean, good for her for being a hard aleck or whatever. Yeah. So he agreed eagerly. Like, she was his base or whatever. I I don't really get it, but so it was. Um, They were remarried, and they moved back to the Blue House. So no more of the dual existence in the studio with the bridge. They're back in the Blue House. One house, one marriage. Casa Azul. 
Doesn't yes. Sound pretty. Sounds like the name of a tequila. I wonder if that is. I would not be surprised. <laughs> um, it's the house where Frida grew up, and every day Frida made the house into a still life for Diego, she said. She liked to arrange things just so the house, in fact, at this period of time, sounds very awesome. It's It does. This sounds like the best, I mean, as a spectator, this sounds like a really good time in her life. She's got plants and animals. She's got monkeys. And friends will come over and drink out of these rough terracotta cups around this big table. There's lanterns. There's painted tiles. The garden opens up into the... I mean, the garden comes in and the garden goes out and people break into song and there's... It really does seem like that ideal situation. And Diego says... At this point, Frida is a better painter than I am. Well, we always knew that, I think. (laughs) But it's really the tipping point of attention to Frida. There's exhibitions, Mm -hmm. loans to art museums all over the world, articles, government commissions. She gets a job at the School of Painting and Sculpture. She inspired such love among her students. I read that she didn't treat them like students, but she treated them like esteemed colleagues which I'm sure goes a long way. Guillermo Monroy is one of her students, and he wrote, She walked in the door the first day. Now, keep in mind, you're used to a more strict system of education, Mm -hmm. where the maestra is the maestra, and you will button your face. You know, that's how it was. And so when this chick walks in, looking like she looks, she's back to Tijuana, back to the way she, we know her. Mm -hmm. She walks in and says, Well, kids, let's go to work. I'll be your so-called teacher, though I'm I'm really not any such thing. I want to be your friend. I've never been a painting teacher, and I think I won't ever be. I'm always learning. I want you to know there does not exist in the whole world a single teacher who's capable of teaching art. To do that is truly impossible. That's a good way to look at it. The student said, Will you pose for us? Mm -hmm. And she just walked to the front of the room and posed for them, and thus became a beautiful friendship. She got a little baby gang of her own together. These group of students called Los Fritos. Parties at her house that were half parties and half painting sessions. And just people would get all inspired and start dancing. And it What a great place to be inspired at. The home of Diego and Frida. Another student just quoted as saying she made poetry around her. Almost it seemed during this period to me, this is going to seem really foofy and I don't even know how to say it any differently, but it almost seems like she's getting purified, like grace is coming out of her or something. Oh. Like she's, she's like spreading her benevolence over her area, mm-hmm. her last bit of awesome here. That's, that's an interesting way to put it because while she's doing that, she's physically deteriorating mm-hmm. at a rapid pace. I mean, she's having spinal taps. She's having corset confinement. She's having several operations on her spine and her leg. And this is physically an extremely excruciating time for her. And yet she's giving all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the suffering is making it concentrate or something. I don't know. But during this next six-year period, she has 28 what they call orthopedic corsets. Some were made of steel. Some were made of plaster. Um, some had rings in them that she could be hung from the mm-hmm. ceiling to stretch her spine. I mean, people would come in and start crying because of the rig she was in. She'd have to be lowered with a pulley system to get back into bed. Bone grafts and metal plates. One doctor put a metal plate in. The next one's like, what the hell is that metal plate in there? Took it back out. Bone grafts that didn't take. Infections from bone grafts. I mean. It just, literally this part. Yeah. 
bless them, I don't know a thing about medicine. But right now, it seems like we're in the court of Henry VIII, and people are jacking around with bleeding and leeches, <laughs> and nobody knows what they're doing. And if they had left her alone, just alone, can we just stop torturing the patient? It may have turned out better. But bless them, I don't know what's going on. After a life of pain, she's still allowing these operations to happen, though. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, she began to take copious amounts of morphine just to get by. Copious amounts. She really, it's just a shocking situation here. But she's flat on her back most of the time, so she's back to painting that old way. She's lost so much weight, um, and she's very anemic. She's got, they discover, finally, a bone-wasting disease called osteomyelitis, where her bones are literally disintegrating. Mm-hmm. And gangrene has led to the removal of a couple of her toes. She's living on flat on her back. Yeah, and you can see, I mean, you don't even have to, I don't know a whole lot about art, but you can see a real stark contrast between her paintings from before this period and her paintings at this time. I mean, it's just, you can see that physically her limitations are pretty significant. She starts painting still lifes for coconuts crying. Well, friends would come and fix her hair with ribbons and put ornaments in her. She's really surrounded by this little group of devoted women. Um, and a nurse named Judith Ferretto that used to sing her to sleep and hold her hand. Love that. Which I thought was good. Now I find myself longing for Diego to be the one holding her hand and singing her to sleep. But we know him by now. That is not in his area of expertise. No, he's out with other actresses creating public scandals. At one point... Christina goes up to the woman that he's having this affair with and says, stop, you can't keep going with him because it hurts Frida. And the woman stopped. i got to give Christina props for that. I mean, that's redemption as far as I'm concerned for her little dalliance. But all Frida really said about Diego at this point was kind of very, very sadly. She said, I never had him. He was always only his own. So there's that. Now, here along comes the year of 1953. She's 47 years old. Frida has a dream at this point in her life, and she has never had a solo exhibition in her home country. And a gallery owner, Gallery of Contemporary Art, has decided, and I quote, I think honors should be given to people when they're still alive to enjoy them, not when they're dead. And she proposed to Diego, would this be acceptable? Diego is very excited and said this would be ideal, and he helped a lot to get this to go. Well, nothing's better for art than a deadline. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Um, And so uh, the day came. The day came of the exhibition. The buzz was crazy. The buzz was worldwide. I mean, people kept calling. Is she going to be there? She, oh, I'm so excited for the thing. And nobody could get their mind back on the ground. Everyone was so excited. The day came, but Frida was too ill to move. The doctors were like, no, you're going to park it. She was not going to miss this. She had herself carried to the sofa and literally sent her bed to the gallery. This huge four-poster bed with canopy was made into part of the exhibition. You can always count on a gallery owner. Right in the middle, they hung a picture on the bottom. Like, (laughs) this is meant to be like this. And there's the artist. So then, Frida climbs into an ambulance. They drive her to the gallery. Now, she is hopped up on morphine and who knows what else because the woman is in some serious pain. She gets carried in to the gallery opening, and it's kind of subdued, and she arrives, and she's like, let the party start because I am here. It is kind of actually the most striking kind of performance art 
I mean, here she is carried in. It's a hospital stretcher, but it's like a palanquin of the ancients, you know. She's carried in, you know, and placed upon the throne of the bed. And everyone had to be, like, corralled into a line because everyone starts crowding the bed. Oh, yeah. And the party was great. There was music. There was drinking. There was... She was into the cognac. Heard about now. There was cognac. There, I mean, it just, it was a good spectacle. It was very satisfying. Everyone was appreciative. It went well. And Diego said, of this event later, I thought she must have realized at this party that she was saying goodbye to life. Her poor, poor leg, her poor leg had to be amputated. Uh, not long after this successful party, and after that, mm, never the same again. She was wildly emotional. She, I mean, she had been in and out of depressions, but this was, how could it not? She's had a whole life. Of this level of pain. Now she's been on painkillers for so long. Her future is bleak. She can't do the things she loves to do the most. She's so bad that Diego came back. He would even stop painting if someone came and said she needed him. Now that is how bad. Because we know how he is. He would never stop working Mm -mm. for this kind of situation. But it was so bad. And the end was so clearly near yeah. that he would stop what he was doing, lay things down, and come home. Her last birthday, 100 guests came to her house. It was like a tiny reflection of those golden days with all the artists and the music and the flowing food and, you know, tamales, peasant food. Friends came and went, um, really did say their goodbye. She was able to say calm. This wasn't strangers at the gallery. This was all friends that came to her party. She went upstairs at the early hour of 8 o'clock and said goodbye to everyone, really. That was really the last, that was the curtain call. Yeah. There was a tiny little blaze. Later, she she was able to go to a Communist Party rally in her wheelchair. She was so sick, but she really was very proud. Her presence at that rally seemed to galvanize people, and it was like she was a rallying point. And so she had said goodbye to her friends, and this is where she kind of said goodbye to her political Mm -hmm. life. Mm Mm-hmm. And it ended satisfactorily, too. She had a good public goodbye, a good friend goodbye, and now this is this quiet little silent pride political goodbye. So there and then, Tuesday, July 13th, 1954, Frida Kahlo died of what was officially termed a pulmonary embolism. Or it may have been an accidental overdose, or it may have been assisted overdose. There was a few pills that were missing from her medicine, but... Her body was cremated so quickly they never did an autopsy. And, you know, the last drawing she ever did was in her journal. Uh, It was a black angel lifting up into the sky. And the last words in her diary are, I hope the exit is joyful and I hope never to come back, Frida. Frida lay in state at the Palace of Fine Arts for just a little while, her coffin covered in a red flag with a hammer and sickle on it. And right after that, Diego uh, had her cremated. Mm-hmm. Her ashes are still in an urn at the Blue House, which is now a museum. Diego only lived three years and one wife oh. after <laughs> after she died. He died of heart failure in his studio. So that is the life. Thus ends the turbulent, tortured, really, life of Frida Kahlo. Now her legacy, clearly, uh, is her paintings, 143 paintings, 55 of them of herself, Remember, she said she painted self-portraits because she's so often alone. I am the subject I know best. And they're not the same. You know what I mean? They reflect the state of mind Mm -hmm. as she paints them. I just think it's interesting to put them. I'm sure there's a site. I don't know what site it is where you can put them all in order. Yeah. 
Her art, after she died, kind of went dormant until there was a movement in the 80s called Neo-Mexicanismo. Say that three times fast. I don't think I could say it one time. It was a movement that was kind of going, there was a gallery show of her works in 1982 in London. Dun-dun-dun. A famous biography came out in 1983. Dun-dun-dun. A movie, 1983. And she came back. And now, she's a coffee mug. Now, she's on a tequila bottle. (laughs) The tequila is made, ironically, in a town called Jesus Maria. It is $80 for the low end, I believe. But the absurdity of her face on a coffee mug, a bead curtain made out of her face. I I think she might think it's kind of funny. She'd probably laugh. Probably. We had um, a museum here in Kansas City. There was a showing of her works recently, and there was a party. And people came dressed as her. Okay. So she is definitely an example of string, maybe just to keep struggling and deal with adversity. And That's what I took away from her. Um, the things that she had going against her in life would have spiraled anyone into a very long pity party. And the fact that she could take it out onto her paintbrushes and her canvases, her pain, and make people feel her pain that she lived with every day, I think that was her her gift to us. In 2001, she was on a postage stamp, the first Hispanic woman to be featured so on an American postage stamp. In 2010, she was on the 500 peso Mexican banknote with Diego Rivera on the obverse side. She's featured with her painting, Love, Embrace of the Universe, from 1949. So there's that to get a hold of and frame. So let's talk about websites. Oh, yes, There are several. I was actually quite surprised at the amount of Internet options to learn more about Frida Kahlo. We'll, of course, link you up on our show notes. FridaKahloFans.com have done a nice job in putting together a lot of information about her work and her life. Um, There's another one that's also excellent, Frida-Kahlo-Foundation.org. You know, you can also MuseoFridaKahlo.org. Dot Mex. <laughs> we'll link you up. That's the La Casa Azul Museum right. website, official museum website. PBS.org actually has a really nice section on her. It's called The Life and Times of Frida Kahlo. It is super, super cool. There is a, several of her works of art where you can roll over the images and learn more about the painting based on her life. It, it was, it's a great little art history lesson. For her paintings. Also, biography.com, and in that one, there's videos, lots of videos. Mm-hmm. There is also, at sfmoma.org, um, a video of Frida Kahlo and Diego at the Blue House. Slightly less than a minute long. I thought that was super cool to see. There was a biography video of her from 1983, which was pretty good. You know, the, those are great because they have a lot of pictures. And then there was a 2002 movie, Salma Hayek as Frida Alfred Molina as Diego. Ashley Judd as Tina Modotti. Mm-hmm. I can see it physically, but I didn't know about... Yeah. Yeah, it, um, I didn't hate it, although I got taken out of the movie so many times because they did this creative thing where they would have the painting, and then it would come to life. I can see why they did it, because her paintings were her life, mm-hmm. and they tried to incorporate the painting as, as a st- you know, still, and then it would come to life. Um, but it kind of took me out of the movie a few times. It was a little odd. They did make a special point of showing you Josephine Baker in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't I didn't hate it. 
you know, and ever after watching it, everything that I was reading, I had Salma Hayek's voice in my head, which, you know, that's not terrible, I guess. Now, as to books, let me just recommend, like, two. One is, of course, the 1983 Frida, a biography of Frida Kahlo by Hayden Herrera. Kind of the granddaddy established biography. Maybe. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of meat in that one. Yeah, uh, it's long. It's long. It's thorough. And then um, there is a book. I, You know what I would recommend, especially with this person, is go to your library and get a book. Pretty much any book, I know Susan has actually one that I would recommend specifically, but any book that has her life written alongside her pictures, because that is what you're going to need. Yeah. I think that will make it make a lot of sense. Uh, This was my absolute um, favorite reference book. It's called Self-Portrait in a Velvet Dress, Frida's Wardrobe. It's uh, fashioned from the Museo Frida Kahlo. And in it, as I open up this big coffee table book or her actual clothes photographs of her clothes and then they're i've used juxtaposed like three times today (laughs) they're shown next to uh the actual paintings that she was doing at the time so uh it's just it's just a fascinating there's lots of photographs of her of her painting of famous photographs of her and then the actual garment that she was wearing in that photograph it's it's a treasure I would actually like to own that book that's how much I liked it Um, the other one that I really liked was Frida Kahlo Beneath the Mirror by Jerry Suter again another coffee table book filled with her paintings Um, and like Beckett said there's the description of her life alongside the paintings, and so that was kind of key. Yeah. What totally threw me about this particular subject is her paintings were very PG-13, but if you go to your library, you will find so many children's books about Frida Kahlo. It blew my mind. I mean, I, it just blew my mind. The one that I personally, I got a lot of them, and I read them with my son, um, the one that we liked best was Me Frida by A.V. Noveski and illustrated by David Diaz. Um, it's just the illustrations are just really wonderful, and it was a and it was a nice story. It talks about her time in San Francisco with Diego. As far as fiction goes, I love this book. It's The Secret Book of Frida Kahlo, a novel by F.G. Hagenbach. Um, it, it's written... Mm, He's he's a Mexican writer, so he the style is is very Latin style of novel. It's not like Philippa Gregory at all. And death is an actual entity that follows her through the story. But factually, this book was terrific. And what made this book even cooler for me was it has recipes in it. And I was. Uh, there's so there's there's recipes at the end of every chapter, and I was getting so hungry reading this book that I was complaining about it on Twitter about how hungry I was getting. One of our longtime listeners, Nani, or I was complaining on Twitter, and she was writing me back, and I was saying, "Oh, I'm reading this book. I can't tell you who it's about, but the recipes are making me so hungry." And she says, "Well, if you can find me a no sugar, no sweetener, no preservative, gluten and dairy free." recipe i'm all in so nani i found it for you i will print that recipe on on our website just for you or anyone else what's it a recipe for it is a recipe for hold on i will tell you exactly ribs for the dead dr leo (laughs) 
It's a rib recipe, so you didn't say anything about meat. <laughs> oh, wow. Woo. Yeah, it was like, golly, what's left? <laughs> I know, right? So that will do it for Frida Kahlo. Her last painting, a painting of simple watermelons cut in different ways, one of which, across the bottom, Frida has written, Viva la vida. Long live life. And perhaps that's what Frida means. Don't waste it. Thanks for listening. Bye. For show notes, links to the things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at thehistorychicks with an X, or like us on Facebook without an X. Listen to us on Stitcher, the super fabulous radio app of tomorrow. If you'd like us in real life, Please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com.